feedback driven development is the only way to survive in industrial innovation platform, in industrial data ops platform. The, the feedback that we have is probably one of the biggest asset that we have as of this moment. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, what's up? It's episode 155. Today, we're talking about getting on the plant floor and bringing customer feedback to market quickly. Our guest this week is Vetsal Shaw, CEO and founder of Litmus. Vetsal's going to tell you all about his company in true manufacturing happy hour fashion here in just a second. But first, here are a few more things you should expect from this episode. First, we're going to get some down-to-earth digital transformation advice. This will happen throughout the episode, and second, we'll also hit the factory floor. We'll hear about Vitsal's background and some of his recent customer travels. Finally, when you're running a young company and you're getting the type of FaceTime with customers that Vitsal is, you have a direct line of communication to the things that they need. So as the title states, we'll discuss how to take customer feedback and bring it to market fast. As always, if you want to learn more, head to the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 155. And if you are enjoying this episode, if you enjoy this podcast, hey, don't forget to leave us that five-star rating and review over at iTunes, over at Spotify, wherever you listen to the show. Those written reviews, even if they're just a couple sentences on the Apple Podcasts platform, iTunes, those are super helpful right now. So if you got a couple minutes, leaving that review certainly helps us out. But hey, with that, it's time to meet up with Vatsal Shaw. Vatsal, it's awesome to have you here. It was great being part of your virtual event just uh, just a few months ago. And I, I have to start off in manufacturing happy hour fashion with this question. Litmus is described as a unified platform for industrial IoT. So if we're having beverages with one another... How, how do you describe what you do? Well, first of all, thanks, Chris, for having me. Uh, I really appreciate um, you hosting me here. So if, if we are having beverages with each other, if we, if we talk about um, unified platform for industrial world, I would say that there are some foundational challenges in the manufacturing or industrial world right now. Um, they do start from all the fragmented data landscapes that we are seeing. There might be legacy systems at play. Um, they, they, they have amazing amount of data right inside those control systems, automation system, robotic system. How do we make that available to broader world? Collect out of it, normalize it, contextualize it, and make it available to the smarter system that, that can consume that data. That whole journey, it has to be unified. We cannot give a point solution that somebody's gonna solve this challenge, somebody's gonna solve this challenge, and let customers figure out everything else that they require. It's like playing giant Jenga. Rather than that, we are proposing unified platform. It takes care of complete journey for manufacturing or industrial customers. And that's what, again, um, it, it goes still goes in a little bit technical way, but if, if I'm explaining like, a, like it's five, there is a boiler. You want to understand what that boiler is doing? That's when you use the unified platform. Collect, understand, analyze, utilize that data. 
Yeah, and I, I you touch on a, a big point that we face in manufacturing all the time, fragmented systems. How do you create something that's unified that brings all that information together? And how do you take action on that? We're going to get into all of that as we get into today's conversation. Yeah, looking forward to it. So before we get there, though, you've got a cool background. And I have to ask you, you know, what were you doing before Litmus? If I, if I saw it right, you were like an industrial design engineer at Rockwell Automation. You were in business development and strategy. Like, what were you up to? Give us the background. So I started uh, um, right after bachelor's. I started my career as an uh, instrumentation and control engineer. So at first day of the job, I was given, um, uh, let's say, these are PID diagrams, co-develop data screens and, and business logic out of it. So within first week, I started developing later logic and data screens, um, mainly for power plant use cases. And uh, uh, like I was fascinated by later logic at the time, and I was just, just keep on developing it. So my uh, real career started from automation engineer. And... Um, started from power plant, went into oil and gas, uh, some pulp and paper, and and food and beverages towards towards data. Um, mainly, I, I once again as, as a new engineer, you are not supposed to go on a uh, field exception test or UAT. You uh, are not supposed to do that. So I was still on the desk in the initial times, and then did commission some of the some of the facilities towards the end of it. So have experience from manufacturing side on the field side on how to create anywhere from panel, logic, and HMI and SCADA screens. And I saw the problem statement there though, well, where on one of the project, uh, we were forced to work with four different vendors. Uh, they were large oil and gas vendors like Amazon or Fisher Rosemount and, and there were some cement systems there. It took us like three and a half months to develop connectivity across all of them. Even if you were using OPC, even if you were using everything else, we were literally writing scripts on PB and trying to collect data from one and integrate it to another one. To solve that, um, the, the first idea was to create a platform that talks with every control system out there and gives the data out in a way that humans can understand. That was the idea, the whole idea for starting Litmus. So I have to ask, what year was it that that idea really hit you? Because... I mean, I've been in this industry since 2009, 2010 really is when I got my start. And I don't, I don't think we were there yet. Like when, when did this moment hit you? Was there a moment, I should say? I would say in 2012, 13 timeframe, this moment hit, really, really hit me. Oh, once again, it was, it was more about my own personal experience or our co-founders experience rather than, uh, uh, rather than. Uh, getting feedback from the customers itself. That was that was the first, first uh, thing. But we went into customers and meetings very fast. So we went out there. Uh, 49 out of 50 customers, they said, you, you are naive. This will never work. Nobody, even if it works, nobody's going to buy you buy it from you. But we kept on asking why. Why not? Uh, how? How can we figure it out? And then over years, then we developed a, a more compiling story where uh, we... we Connectivity is just one part of it. How you utilize that data is a bigger story of it. And then uh, Litmus was founded. But yes, that was the moment, 2012, 13 timeframe, it's when it really hit us. Your story, it, it, there, there's some similarities I hear from other stories, right? You experienced the pain in your role that inspired you to start Litmus. But you also followed that up with 49 out of 50 people 
told you it wasn't going to work. So what made you keep persevering, keep going forward to say, I think there's something here versus being like, well, almost, you know, 98% of people said this was not going to work. We should give up. What what kept you going? Um, I think that, that the responses were interesting. The responses were not that the problem does not exist. Um, it's naive that you think you are going to solve it was the response that um, nobody has done it before. Um, doesn't mean that it's not required. Yeah, sure. Um, they, like they, they, this is a problem and then uh, somebody's going to solve it. But it's going to be one of the large automation companies solving it rather than independent vendor who's going to figure out um, common data layer for the industry world. So there was one. And the second thing, um, we were a bunch of young kids from out of university. We had nothing to lose. Uh, we, we persevere out of it. We, we were like, okay, you're going to reject. You don't know what you're doing. That's that, that, that that was our, at the end of the day, yeah, like these guys don't know what they're talking about. They, um, of course, they knew what they were talking about and and we we had nothing to unlearn, I, I would say. We were learning everything for the first time and that helped us being bullheaded that we were before. So uh, that's a fun answer, right? You were young, you had that ambition to keep going forward. You also highlighted how it's not that the people you spoke with it's not that they didn't say there wasn't a problem. They agreed with you that there was a problem. They said they were just saying, ah, we just don't think you're going to be the be able to solve it. So what advice would you have to the manufacturing leaders that listen to this, whether they work for a big company, whether they're starting their own thing? What advice would you have to them when they're in a situation like that where there's, let's say, some doubt, but there is a problem that needs to be solved? I would say you have to persevere out of it. That's the only thing that matters. Um, like for us, it was more or less we were ahead in the market. We were ahead in our journey um, in the in the um, industrial data innovation itself. But uh, like, how how do you make sure that we keep on hitting the product market fit for a broader customer base is critical. So the the only advice that I would give is um, persevere. If the problem statement exists. You, you might be the best one to solve it because you identified it. Excellent advice. And I think this actually ties into what we're going to talk about next based on some of your recent experiences at Litmus because I literally just saw this on LinkedIn as I was preparing for this interview. But you had made a post saying, hey, I just traveled to six or so of our customers to see Litmus in action, to see how our solution works on the plant floor. Like, what are, the, I'm, I'm curious right off the bat, what are these plant floor environments like? Are these similar environments? Are they more advanced than other manufacturers? I'm just curious what type of manufacturer is, let's say, let, let's say a bit of an early adopter for something like this. It, it, it was just fantastic because uh, pre-COVID, we used to do this like it was casual. They're like we, we used to just fly to a customer site and they used to show us that here is what it's going on. It is how it's working and and uh, everything was good. The two years, last two, three years in COVID, they, they went by a blur. Uh, we were connected with our customers. We were always there on video. But and the, the thing that we don't realize is this manufacturing operations, they have so much ingenuity built on it that we can't even comprehend. It's like we are sitting on our laptop and we are developing a code. Yeah, we are going to connect million tags, right? That's, that's a story that we say. Oh, million tags is fine. But if you really understand what those million tags represent, then you won't just casually use the word, we are going to collect million sensor in, input in our system. 
because they are running $100 million facility, billion dollar facility there, which are, you have to understand what you're doing. And it, it, my experience was just, uh, yeah, it's mind blowing when you see that how your product is influencing a billion dollar worth of manufacturing facility out there. And to answer your second question, where um, like how do we how do we think about um, like they are early adapters, um, they are um, like just just mass adapters itself. I think the the, the market is ready. Market is more uh, more asking the question. Here are here are my assets. Here are my processes. Um, I have this problem statement. Can data help me solve it? That's what they are really working towards. And um, their questions, they are as genuine as you can imagine. It's, just, um, they, 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 it's not fluff anymore. It's, it's not like, oh, let's just go into digitization and we, we'll see what we get. It's, it's really, um, I, I visited one of the largest food and beverage company out there. Um, and, and their problem statement was really in the packaging machines itself. Why we are not getting the yield that we are supposed to be getting or uh, why our downtime is higher. Um, their KPI was amount of manufacturing loss per hour. These are the specifications of our machine. This is the result that we are getting right now. If you calculate the difference between both of them, multiply by um, cost of your end result, you will get a billion dollar number right there. That at the end of the year, we have a billion dollar in manufacturing capacity loss. Now, can you help us with solving it with the data? And you find yourself dumbfounded there. You are literally solving um, a manufacturing problem, which is pack versus reality. Data can help you solve it. Understand the downtimes. Prevent those downtimes. It has a direct impact on getting more yield. That's one. Another one was a metallurgy company. And, and that metallurgy company was always about, uh, we have a scrap reduction issue that we want to address. Uh, we have, um, we manufacture something, it's not at the best quality that we want it to be. That means we have to scrap it and we have to go through that process again. That means we are wasting resources. Manufacturing resources, we are, man are wasting manufacturing, um, uh, like let's say, uh, production resources that we have and human resources that we have. How can we reduce it? So, very genuine problem. So, I, I have a couple questions because these are two great concrete examples. In the case of the metals company, we were talking about quality. In the case of the food and beverage company, you're talking about a billion dollars in lost production a year. Are these problems, are these problems they, they've already calculated, they know it's costing them this much and they're bringing you in? Or is this something you're helping them realize that, hey, this is the extent of your issue and by the way, we can help as well? Um. Some food and beverage companies, uh, they start with discovering data itself because they do not know the problem statement where um, this is, uh, let's say, pistachio um, factory. Um, it, it, they do not, they have a lot of pen and paper. Um, they, they, they are writing down every, every log of this is the cleaning process, this is um, uh, like a, uh, some specific baking process and other process. There are a lot of manual logs that exist. So they can't understand where they can optimize. So companies like that, they, they create a baseline digital infrastructure first, where they collect all the data and they push it into simple data warehouse in the cloud, start doing Power BI, start doing Tableau, start visualizing the data and, okay, we uh, had a one ton of this here, we had 100 kilograms of moss here, and this is the manufacturing operations or golden batch here. 
then they start understanding this might be the use case that we should address. That's use case type. That, that's a customer type number one. The customer that I was just visiting, they already knew the problem statement. They already knew that there is a SPAC versus reality issue. Um, when, when we visited them, it was, well, this is the specification of machine. This is the reality of the machine right now. Here is the gap multiplied by our cost. Done. They already knew that. <laughs> and I was like, okay, now data is going to help us solve it. So again, both problems, they exist. Both type of customers exist. I, I, I'm really excited about that answer because it begs the question, and you don't need, this doesn't need to be an exact science, but I'm curious your perspective. Are more companies in column A where they haven't even been able to contextualize the data, but understand they have an issue, or are more companies at this point in the position where they have contextualized some of the issue and they can tell you, this is my problem statement. What is the rough distribution these days? Rough distribution. I would say um, 35, 40% companies on the first column and close to 60% companies on the second column. Um, that might be just very biased answer because we engage with companies uh, who that already has industrial IoT or industry 4.0 strategy defined. So again, that's just from Litmus perspective. When we engage with them, they already have officer associated with that with the budget. So we might be a little bit late in the journey. Um, they might have the exact, they were in column A a year back, but we were not engaged with them at that time. And, and that makes sense, right? But what I do love about your answer, and this isn't, you know, no one needs to quote this specifically, but I like the optimism that's there. It's like, hey, at least for the companies we're engaging with, more people are familiar with the pro their problem statement. They've already contextualized at least enough of the data to get there. I just think that's a good trend in the right direction. Whereas maybe five, 10 years ago, people are just like, I, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what my data is, where it's sitting. So I, I love the direction you went with that. Yeah, and, 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 and I think if you, if you go one step deeper, their use cases are one, but they, all, they are also aware of this data landscape that they have. It's heterogeneous environment. No vendor can solve all of the problems. They can't even get system integrator to connect with everything, or they can't even get one vendor to help them um, create this blueprint of their architecture that's gonna scale. So they, they know a problem deeper, one step deeper, which is technology problem. They have a legacy systems. Um, bunch of these vendors, they, they uh, borderline conned them <laughs> in, um, in, in giving them solution which was not scalable. They, were, they pretend that it was scalable and now they are coming back as like, we are only going to work with vendors that scale very well. Um, they are modern, they are security first to address this data landscape problem. Well, another great point you made there is that taking it a step deeper, that's when you start looking at the technology behind it, which is the right order people should be going in, but all too often, and I think this is one of those challenges around manufacturing digitization is people like, okay, there's this cool tech, let's slap it on what we have. They haven't done the due diligence to say, hey, this is the problem that we need to solve first. So are you starting to see more of that then? People are understanding it's like, okay, problem statement first, and then we'll worry about what technology goes next. Like there's, there's a mixed response here. <laughs> and it's a very good question. So uh, should doers be discouraged? from doing anything that they want to do. So doers, they start with technology. Um, they, they, they start with something that they found on GitHub or open source domain or somebody that was talking on LinkedIn. Should they try it? By all means, go ahead and try it. 
um, you, you, you want to play around with um, some low-code environment, you want to build some application, you want to visualize it, by all means, try it. Should you be hooking up to the production system? Probably not. <laughs> should you be connecting that to a real boiler which might have implications if it gets hacked? Probably not. You should not do that. So, um, yes, they should be encouraged to try the technology. They should not. They should be careful and they should know what they are doing before they hook it up to production. So, yes, there is a technology. Sure, learn it, acquire new skill sets, but know it enough that it's going to be dangerous if you put it on a plan. That's a nice segue into the, the next question I'm going to ask, because when I think of, I, I put you in the category of digital transformation with what Litmus does. And when I think of that, I usually think of that as an enterprise, a C-level initiative. But I want to go back to your recent visits to your customers. How are you seeing people on the plant floor drive innovation? Because I think that's a, a, a new part of the recipe that we're starting to see that it's not just an executive driving a decision like this, it's the people that are out there actually using this technology that are really finding the problems that need to be solved and finding solutions to them. What are you seeing and from your recent trip, if you will? Yeah, you're 100% right. Um, like my, my trip was, um, my trip was like, let's say 75% of people that I met, met um, they were industrial automation or automation engineers at first. Now they are driving a, or manufacturing digitization strategies because they know what exists on the plant floor. Like with the amount of customers that we work with, we, we have a large portfolio of customers all across the world. So now uh, we, we're seeing a mix, which is, uh, th th this mix is very potent, where somebody who is aware of what exists on a plant floor, somebody who has done it before, somebody who has done PLC programming, or somebody who knows those environment before, they are merged into a common team by CIOs or uh, a, a data officers requirement, they merge it with data science and application builders. So there is somebody who knows how to build application, there's somebody who knows how to understand that data, and there's somebody who knows what that data represents. You combine them, you've got a fusion that you can't replicate anywhere else. That's why there is a convergence of it. So yes, it's driven by a budget from central, because you require a good budget to drive data initiative across all of your plant flows, like 50, 100, 200 plant flows. You need a budget for it. One single plant owner can't drive it. But that plant owner is going to guide the central unit how to deploy it, how to distribute it, how to scale it, how to manage it, what that represents. All of those things, they are there. So it's, again, fusion. My answer would be always fusion. Yeah, and it's a true team effort. And in, in interviews I've done where digital transformation has been the focus, the companies that I've seen succeed the most are companies that have those cross-functional teams of executives, the doers, the folks out on the plant floor, IT, operations technology. If you can get those people working together, that's when you see successes. At least that's my experience. What did, is that what you're seeing too? 100% of it. 100% of large customers that we are working with, they have these teams. Uh, they 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 put them under an umbrella of either data initiative, manufacturing data ops initiative, or some CIO's initiative for understanding all the assets and what they represent. So there is an umbrella initiative. Under that umbrella initiative, there is there are practitioners who have, who have done it before. There are innovators, which are data scientists, and there are. Um, again, innovators on our application builders as well. So put them together, 
they are going to understand the problem statement and solve that problem statement. Well, I have one last question from your recent trip, and that's, was there anything that surprised you from your visits to some of your customers? Anything that was something new you learned or something you didn't expect going into it? One thing that I realized uh, after talking with all of the customers, all of the system indicators partners, is scale is becoming more important factor at an initial stage than we, we ever assumed. This was a big surprise for me. Uh, we were always selling that central center management and a scalability aspect of the product when you when you're ready to scale. So the 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 thing that they told us is uh, there are legacy products out there. There are legacy OPC servers, some legacy SCADA systems, and then then there are uh, aggregators that they have designed, some C sharp code that they have written. Um, it exists. It works. You can't scale them. You can't replicate it from one line to another line. You can't replicate that from one site to another site. How are you going to scale all of that initiative that you did? You can use um, like Node-RED on one site. You can use something else on another site. How is that central team supposed to manage it? And that was really eye-opening. Again, not, not entirely surprising, but surprising in a way that they described it. That scale is not optional. Central management is not optional for any of the industrial IoT initiative. I was like, okay, very nice. I'm interested to know then, is it like, is it because of the fusion, as you called it, you have on those teams? Is that why they're recognizing scalability is so important? Uh, because um, one component of that fusion is, is cloud native. Somebody who, who, who knows how to uh, script the complete automation on an IT environment. How, how do they manage everybody's laptop? How would we manage every network? How do they manage data warehouses? Everything is scripted. Everything is centrally managed from an environment that allows them to have this distributed layer. Why can't they get that in OT layer that they, they, they can't understand that? Why all solutions that they were evaluating was, was suboptimal? Why they were just created to run on a one line? Why were they, they, they were never created for scale? And that's what they were explaining. Like really explaining to us that what's all you don't realize this, but your one of the biggest factor in selecting you was because you have Litmus Edge Manager that allows us to make one API call and update 100% of our nodes across all of the plant floor. It, it's not a feature, that's a mandate. If we don't have it, we will never use your product. What strikes me about that is now having a solution that's cloud native is a requirement. So would you say manufacturers are over their quote unquote fear of the cloud, if you will? Because I don't, I feel like five years ago, there were people that were still skeptical about it. What are you seeing? Yeah, uh, like uh, um, that there was always a fear of cloud, that there was always a fear that um, like the, the attack surface that it might open up would be too large for them if they enable cloud services which is cybersecurity issues will pop up. Their, their uh, management problems and other things, they will pop up. So it, it was always there. But cloud is not optional anymore. Um, every, every customer that we are working with, um, they have either financial side, supply chain side, ERP side, MES side, they already have those cloud-based initiatives. They already started migrating local SQL servers to cloud SQL servers or local MySQL to cloud MySQL, local ERP to cloud ERP. They, they have been doing it for the last few years. They have enough trust built out there. They have enough relationship built out there. All they are doing is bringing now 
operational data into the same environment so they can digitize those aspects as well. I, I don't think the fear is there anymore. Fear is there for mid-sized corporations because of not the attack surface, but because of cost. Um, the fear still exists that by just enabling this, is it going to cost me a million dollars or what? Because I'm, I'm counting number of messages I'm going to send per message cost, and this is warehousing cost. It's going to cost me a million or what? That's that's a fear for them. Yeah, fear of security is not there anymore. Oh, okay. So, well, my biggest takeaway from that statement was cloud is not optional anymore. People understand that it's secure. There's this necessity of scalability and you need cloud for that. So for the manufacturing leaders out there, I think you've given a lot of really good down-to-earth advice around digital transformation today with some great specific examples. As we get to the end of our conversation, this is more of like a, a young company, kind of a startup-y type question, right? But how do you bring customer feedback to market quickly? I think this is something startups and especially large manufacturers are wondering, how do I do that? I think this is something that Litmus excels at. So I'd love to get your advice for the leaders out there on this one. Yes. Well, again, one of the core principles um, on us creating the product was always feedback-driven development. Um, if I tell you a story, uh, one of the large automotive tier one, uh, we were bidding for RFI. This is like seven years ago now, six, seven years ago. And uh, they asked, oh, do you have this connectivity established? Otherwise, you'd be disqualified. That was a simple thing. And we were like, we already knew, we already had that on roadmap. We already had a system available in our lab. We were like, yeah, sure, we, we have it. And next day, uh, like we, we arranged a call in, in two days and we actually demoed it to them right then and there that this connectivity exists. We developed it overnight. Somebody walked 24 hours straight to develop that connectivity. Now, the, 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 the story is, um, like if feedback-driven development is the only way to survive in industrial, um, like uh, innovation platform, in industrial data ops platform. Um, the, the feedback that we have is probably one of the biggest asset that we have as of this moment. We, we go on a quarterly business reviews with customers. I personally go on a customer support calls if, if um, they are significant enough. Uh, just to understand where we are hitting um, uh, limits of our platform or where, we, where, do, where are we hitting, um, the, let's say, possible um, like ROI restrictions for them. So understanding that is critical. Then we, we created a process internally. How do, we, how do we segment that feedback? across all of the customers, all of our channel partners that we have, we get a large amount of feedback. How do we segment it? How do we craft a product which fulfills everybody's requirement all at once? So developing a feature is it's more like art rather than science, where we input all of this, create a gumbo out of it, <laughs> and then launch a feature which is addressing 80% of those issues right, right off the bat. And that's, that cycle, we have been doing it over the last six years, and that's how we are successful. It's like, we are really, really close to ground. We are engineers at first. We know how to solve it. What to solve, we let our customers tell us. I like the gumbo analogy. I also like what you just said. Feedback-driven development is necessary for survival. So I, I think you guys are a great example of that. As we get to the end of our conversation Last question's up to you is, is there anything you wish I would have asked you that we didn't cover today, right? We've, we've covered some good examples. We've talked about 
litmus, digital transformation, anything else on your mind that you want to leave the audience with? Um, one of the, let's say, if I'm asking myself, um, extension to your earlier question where um, there was a, like doers trying to do everything by themselves. Um, like how much noise is there in the market is, is something that we can't uh, really, really understand. There's, there's just, um, every problem statement has a lot of different proposed answers. Uh, some answers, they are good for a specific vendor. Some answers, they are good for customers. Some answers, good, they are for the ecosystem. How do you filter this noise is, is extremely critical. Uh, you can't do it without, without sometimes trying or find a trusted partner who has your interest first. We actually, we like as, as a litmus, we, we, we always give responses in, in favor of customers rather than our own core architecture. So finding a partner who is going to give you that feedback is critical. How do you cut through the noise is the question. Uh, try it. Understand, um, find a trusted partner. It might be system integrator, it might be technology partner, it might be cloud partner, it might be value-added reseller partner. Find a trusted partner who's going to help you cut through this noise and help you achieve success out of it. That would be um, question answer to the question where how do you cut through the noise? It's funny. We talk about we talk about cutting through the noise in terms of what's on social media, what you're getting hit with from a marketing standpoint. Same thing goes for technology as well. I think you summed things up very well today. Fitzal, I'm going to have links in the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com to connect with you, to connect with Litmus, to see all the cool things that, that you and your team continue to do. And in the meantime, I just wanted to thank you for taking the time to jump on today's show. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And it was great chatting with you. Thank you. Cheers. Hey, hey, thank you for listening. If you want to connect with Vitsal, if you want to connect with Litmus, hey, all the links are over at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 155 in the show notes page. Also, I do want to say not a lot here at the end of this episode. I do want to make one quick plug and say that, hey, I do events. I do keynotes. I've done panel discussions. I've done one of these with Vitsal in the past. If you are interested in having me speak to your organization, lead a panel at a trade show, whatever it might be, shoot an email over to info at manufacturinghappyhour.com subject line events would be great to connect with you in that way and hey we got more great episodes for you coming that's a wrap on this week but in the meantime stay innovative stay thirsty we'll catch you back here real soon see ya thanks for listening to manufacturing happy hour powered by the industrial network